This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host, Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos. Yes, this is Latin Pulse, but no, we're not at a revival this week. Instead, that's life-affirming music from the 19th International AIDS Conference in Washington, D.C., where the problem of AIDS globally and AIDS in Latin America were squarely on the table this week. Later, we'll have an interview with an activist working with those who have HIV and AIDS in Honduras. And we'll finish our in-depth look at women's rights in Guatemala. But first, Lydia Bayoud has our weekly review of news from around Latin America. Cuba's president, Raul Castro, announced on Thursday that he is ready to engage in talks with the U.S. Castro says he has already made the offer through diplomatic channels and is willing to discuss any topic, including Cuba's human rights record, so long, he says, as it is a conversation between equals. We will speak to one another on equal terms, because we are nobody's colony, nobody's puppet. We will discuss the same issues with the United States, for us, and for them. Castro made the announcement during a ceremony commemorating Cuba's Revolution Day in the eastern city of Guantanamo. Cuba and the U.S. have not had diplomatic relations since 1960. Cuban police have released anti-government dissidents arrested earlier this week after the funeral of a prominent human rights advocate. Pressure groups such as the Cuban Commission for Human Rights and National Reconciliation pushed for the prisoner's release and said most have been freed. They were protesting after the death of Oswaldo Paya, who died in a car crash last weekend. Paya's son said his father's car was intentionally run off the road, but the government says it was an accident. Paya was the founder of the Varela Project, which petitioned the Cuban government to end the country's one-party rule. The Cuban government had previously accused Paya of being a U.S. agent, and Cuban President Raul Castro accused the protesters of plotting to overthrow the government. Paya was also criticized by the anti-Castro opposition for being too moderate in his demands. A Cuban baseball player may have defected before a tournament in the Netherlands this week. Aledmis Diaz was absent before a finals game between Cuba and Puerto Rico, being played in the Dutch city of Harlem on Sunday. If Diaz has defected, he would be the third Cuban player to do so while in the Netherlands since 2009. The two previous defectors, Aroldis Chapman and Gerardo Concepcion, both signed multi-million dollar deals with U.S. baseball teams after their defections. Experts say they expect Diaz to reappear in the U.S. in the coming months. Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez has declared that his country will no longer recognize the regional Inter-American Court of Human Rights because of what he terms its meddling in Venezuelan affairs. Chavez says the court's recent ruling that the government violated the human rights of a prisoner convicted of bombing diplomatic offices in Caracas in 2003 was a miscarriage of justice. Chavez also threatened to withdraw from the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights. Both entities belong to the Organization of American States, which Chavez calls an agent of the U.S. Security forces in Venezuela regained control of a prison in the state of Merida last Saturday, ending an armed riot that lasted more than 20 days. Venezuela's prisons minister said no one was injured in the effort to regain the prison and that the rebellion's leaders surrendered after weeks of negotiations. The Inter-American Commission on Human Rights says more than 500 people died last year due to protests and gang violence in the country's overcrowded prisons. The prisons minister admitted that up to 20,000 prisoners convicted of minor crimes ought to be conditionally freed. For Latin Pulse, I'm Lydia Bayoud. 
this week, we conclude our two-part interview with Ana Carolina Alperez, the editor-in-chief of Guatemala newspaper El Periódico, as she discusses the status of women's rights in Guatemala. This interview was recorded on location during our recent trip to Latin America. This week, Alperez discusses the effect of the Catholic Church and other churches in Guatemala's traditional society and what that means for women. The church is one of the important powers here. Mm-hmm. Most of the people there are Catholics, there are Protestants, so we have a new religion, and there are very conservative religions. Mm-hmm. Why they have to speak about political decisions? One thing about this one is all the related with uh, women health. Here, the church is against teach at the uh, in schools about um, sexual education. There's the grand discussion because they say that this social education had to be at home, not at school. And I think had to be the, th- the two things. In both places? Yes. Why? As a, fa- as a father, you will... Um, you would love or you would like that you're going to have a very good communication with your kids so you can talk everything. I like also that idea, but really not have it, this thing not happen everywhere. So at least let me allow in the school to teach them what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then you can talk with them at home. But the church is against that thing. For the church also is that you have to say, well, the things that the traditional models. So that thing, that's why make us a very conservative. The other thing is who make the decisions. Used to be the power, the traditional power, that are also conservative. So many rules that we have are in that way. So when you want, when you try to break it and make things different, it's not easy. But that, I think that is what we have to do. Because we, we can talk right now about women issues, but there's are also, uh, there are also another minorities groups that they need to be here and need to be exposed in the media. So when we talk about minority groups in, in Guatemala, we're mainly talking about the, the indigenous. And so uh, there are obviously these traditional issues also for indigenous women too. Yes. That's interesting because... We used to think in indigenous as minor, as minority, but they really are not minority in Guatemala. And it's the same because the one that take decision, that make decision, are not indigenous. That's one problem. And when we talk about women issues, there are also different things between the indigenous and non-indigenous Guatemalan women. The indigenous, there are more like traditional things. And there also more the role, the woman that had to stay home, taking care of the kids. But there's one problem, Rick. When a woman have eight kids, you start saying, is that healthy for her? For her? How can you, how are you going to educate eight kids? Mm-hmm. Your husband, he lives because he's labor, he works the, uh, the, um, the field, and he's going to earn a minimum salary, so what happened? That the woman goes also to work, and then the oldest girl, that maybe she's 12 years old, she became the mother of the house. And that's not fair. Why you gonna make a girl 
playing the role of a mother. That's not her role. So you go to the rural areas and you're gonna find this little girl. I say 12 years, for me, it's a little girl. If you're gonna live 80 years, it's nothing. So you go there, she's not going to school because she has to educate, to take care of their brothers and sisters. But the thing is that they're gonna send to school the boys and the girl she's gonna stay home because she have to work at home. Years after that, the man gonna be educated, but she not. Mm -hmm. So what you gonna wait or what you can expect of this situation in the future? So that's one another problem. And then when you ask to again to the traditional power here, let's talk about woman issues in that area. They don't want to talk about that. There's another thing. In the rural areas, for example, for a woman to get a pill, it's not easy. Because they, they grow in a way that they have to ask their husband if he allowed him, allowed her to have a pill because she don't want to have babies. And if the man said no, that's not the thing. You have to educate both of them. Why, why that, that, that these type of decisions are important? Huh? And there's another thing they say, yes, because I have five kids and maybe just three alive. Three will survive. And you can say nothing because maybe that can happen. Because the situation of the rural areas. I had a friend, he's a journalist, and he right now he's living in Texas. And when he write an article and say that sometimes when what thing someone asks him, what question, we, what answer we reflect, how is a woman in Guatemala? And he, and he said, when I asked her, how many kids you have? And she said, alive or dead? Hmm? And that's the, like, the common answer. And that has to happen. Hmm? How many kids you have? I have eight. Three survived and five died. Because I had to wait uh, five years. If my baby became, uh, get older than five years, he's gonna survive. If not, I need another one. Later, to help me working. So it's not so easy. It's the structure. And, and how do you break that cycle? What, are, what is the suggestion for, for how you change that traditional way of life? For me, it's education. Two things, educating, educating the woman, educating the girl, and job, work. To give the people opportunities to work, to have an income, and so they don't need to, to say, to say uh, if they have an income that they can live with them, the girls and the boys will gonna go to school. But you have to educate them, both of them. The other thing happening is, for example, in the rural areas, a woman around 12, 14 years can become a mother. And that's a normal thing. Here in the, in the urban areas, 14 years, the same, is not the time to become a mother. You're a teenager. Became a mother after that. But what happened? If you go to, a, it's too common here to, to hear that, how old are you? I'm 22 years. Are you married? No, um, you're right. You're, um, we have an expression. 
te dejó el tren. The train leave you. I don't know. Uh, that's like a common expression. So, in other words, someone who's 22 is is too old to get married. Yes, in the rural areas, yes. Well, and also here. That's interesting. When you are 20, 20, 20, 25 is like the normal time that you have to decide I'm going to get married. Okay. 30 years and you are not married? Oh, there's a problem. What's going on? When you became 35 years, the people start asking you, you're going to have a kid? Oh, your biological watch is working 20, 35 years, have a kid. You're alone? No other problem. Become a single mother. Well, when you're 40, no, that's a problem. You have to at least have a kid. But if you became 41 years without a kid and a, and a husband, no, poor, poor you. No, that's funny. No, no, I don't find For example, funny, but, no, no. But, 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 but I, I have a reaction to that. No, it's, I said it's funny, and really, as you say, it's not funny. Huh? But it's how our social mind, our, our structure, and we just say, for example, in my case, I got married after the 40s, so that's why I tell you that, and I don't have kids. So, and I was in any meeting, oh, and you're married? No. Uh, but you have a kid? No. Ay, pobrecita. But, the, but that's your choice. Exactly. But the people, they don't respect that. They don't understand that. And they ask you, why? For example, became a single mother. There are two situations. One is because the father of the baby, he don't want to support the baby. That's one thing. The other thing is when you choose to become a single mother. Mm -hmm. And that's not fair for the baby. Even if he have all the love of, the, of his mother, or the other thing, he's a single father. I can understand that, but it's not fair. So why, oh, there's another thing. Why you don't have all these programs? And look for some, it's not that time. The people, they don't respect that type of decisions. They start asking, asking you why. Oh, but there's also, there's one time that nobody asked you about that. I think I'm in that time. <laughs> but always, uh -huh. you can feel the social support. You have to do these things. And also for the men. You have to marry, you have to have kids, you have to... Da -da -da. There's another discussion right now. I told you, I said that the woman, indigenous woman, they used to marry or to have a relationship when they are 14 years, for example. But now in the urban areas, the woman start getting married at 30. Mm -hmm. but, when you, but there are two different situations. This woman that decide to get married at 30 are well educated, they had a job, they had an opportunities, they do something else, they open more their mind mm -hmm. or their world here. But in the rural areas, it's not the same. It's very hard for a woman in that situation. Well, thank you. Anna Carolina Alpira is the chief editor of El Periodico, one of the most popular newspapers in Guatemala, speaking with us today about gender issues in Guatemala. Thank you very much.
Thanks to you, Rick, for the opportunity. Coming up, the growing problem of AIDS in Latin America. We'll hear the view from Honduras. Stay with us. Democracy is synonymous with independence. Independence is synonymous with emancipation. Emancipation is synonymous with sovereignty. Sovereignty is synonymous with superiority. Superiority is synonymous with arrogance. Arrogance is synonymous with domination. And domination is synonymous with dictatorship. Dictatorship always finds its way. Amnesty International. Learn. Indignate. Act. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. The United Nations tells us that more than 2 million people in Latin America suffer from Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndrome, or AIDS. It's a disease caused by the human immunodeficiency virus, or HIV. It's a growing problem throughout the region. AIDS is spread primarily through blood or semen and is often characterized as a sexually transmitted disease. Although some countries like Brazil are lauded for their progressive outreach toward this medical problem, others, such as Honduras, are criticized by some in AIDS prevention networks for throwing roadblocks in front of those who want to educate people about the disease. In Honduras, AIDS is increasingly a problem for heterosexuals. It's a scourge for the minority Garifuna community, but it's also increasingly in other heterosexual communities throughout the country. However, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender community, the LGBT community, has also been hard hit. During our recent trip to Honduras, we spoke to AIDS activist Sandra Zambrano of the group Apuvame. Zambrano runs a home for those with AIDS, and she works with Honduran hospitals to promote better treatment for those with HIV. Here are excerpts from our interview with her recorded on location in Tegucigalpa. Uh, my organization have the shelter in in Tegucigalpa, Honduras, is the Ney Casa Renacer. Um, is this place bring the support the people living with AIDS that visit to the Tegucigalpa for um, pick it up the medication. Um, this place is for the people uh, living with AIDS um, the the comments, women, um, men, children, and um, people, the community LGBT, um, no difference. The visit all time, every day, around the se- 70, 70, 70 people in the month, bring to them and the food the um, clean bed, uh, the support to the emotional, and um, some um, medication for the uh, opportun- opportunity infection. Um, the, the people uh, in Honduras, um, uh, the living with age uh, is um, discrimination and estimate they're stigmatized. Stigmatized about the infection because nobody brings the the population to the about the infection. Uh, when uh, the people think so, uh, somebody living uh, yeah, living with AIDS um, don't don't want to 
uh, stay near to the people. So they, they don't want to touch those people. They, yes. they don't want to yeah, have I contact. Think I touch, yes. I transmit transmission that HIV is in ignorance. There's, there's some ignorance. Yes. Is the um, is I have to uh, much problem. The um, the government bring support for the function function f- for the functions. Yeah, it's the this place. No, that. The government doesn't help no, with, with no, the function of your yeah. for your house of support. Yes, is um, I live day by day. As someone who works in this every day, what is your biggest problem in trying to deal with with this issue? Are the hospitals helpful at all? The problem is the medication bring to um, the government around the 80% by to the medicine, the 20% by to the medicine, uh, the global fund. But the government don't uh, no, no worry about the prevention. The so there's no education. No education. About yeah, uh, he um, epidemic the HIV, no, not stop in Honduras because no nobody work about the edu- education in prevention. There's no discussion of condoms or or any sort of um, um, protection that people can can yeah. take. Is, the problem is the fun, fundamentalist religio, religious. He don't want the young people in Honduras to bring education in prevention. Say, oh my God, condom, no, is the, it's not good. Maybe. Um, so it's not just the Catholic religion. Yes. It's, it's, it's also um, a number of these um, evangelical um, yes. religions that are starting to evangelize here in the yeah. Wars too. Yeah, it's, it's um, only um, when the, um, talking about the, the condon or the um, uh, guia sexuales, he say, no. Sexual guides. He, yes. Uh, say, stop this. It's, it's, it's um, pra- practice. Sexuales, libertinaje, is is not good for the young. Is maybe this people he he he, he don't want uh, the young people uh, bring education in prevention. Is is um, is very um, di- difficult. Difficult. Difficult bring the education in Honduras about. The prevention in HIV. So, what can people outside the country do to help you? Uh, this community no have the opportunity for the going to the school, for the going to the university, no work. Maybe a lot, a these people work to the world uh, sexual, sexual world. You would like to see the members of the LGBT community who have left, Los Exilos, 
you'd like to see them come back. Yeah, but now no security for nobody in this country. It's better he stayed there. Mm -hmm. So there have been many people from the community who've had to leave, who have self-exiled yeah. to other countries because they're afraid yes. of what will happen to them here. Yeah. Ricardo in Spain, um, Dr. Joshua in Salvador, and Sofia in, in Nicaragua. Because um, he stayed in Honduras, maybe killing, but and now in in exile because it's, uh, he went to life. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Sandra Zambrano of Apuva May, um, talking to us today on Latin Pulse. And now, Latin American Perspectives with Peter Hakem. Although other factors are at play, economic success is what has contributed most to Brazil's rising global stature and influence. Brazil, like many other Latin American countries, has shown strong, steady growth since 2004. Its economy is now the world's sixth largest, a huge jump from 10th just half a dozen years ago. With poverty and inequality declining, the country now boasts a burgeoning middle class. Unlike the U.S. and Europe, it has so far largely sidestepped the international financial crisis. In recent months, however, Brazil's economy has been slowing. Its growth slipped from 7.5% in 2010 to 3% in 2011 and is expected to dip again this year to 2.5%. Economic analysts are divided over how quickly Brazil will be able to stem the downward trend and recover a more robust rate of expansion. Both pessimists and optimists agree that Brazil's economic management is better today than it has ever been in the past. They also agree that the financial system is fundamentally sound and that the traditional trouble spots in the economy, inflation, debt, and persistent trade deficits are today largely under control. The pessimists, however, point out that the international tailwinds pushing Brazil's expansion are losing force. Chinese demand for commodities are shrinking, and capital flows to all emerging markets are diminishing. Even worse, is Brazil's failure to deal with a series of structural problems that weaken the economy, including a deteriorated and outmoded infrastructure, a bloated, inefficient government bureaucracy, archaic tax and labor codes, an unfriendly environment for business, and a mostly mediocre education system. For their part, the optimists do not dispute this litany of problems and recognize them as a serious drag on Brazil's economy. But, they argue, Brazil succeeded in overcoming far worse difficulties in the past. And despite this multitude of deficiency and handicaps, the economy and the country is, in fact, well-organized and run. Brazil has demonstrated time and again its capacity to deal with setbacks and reversals. 
to consistently renew itself and move ahead. My bet is with the optimists. If you'd like to react to Latin American perspectives or other parts of this program, you may write us. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. Or you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud or on Facebook. Latin Pulse is available on the web and via iTunes. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org forward slash Latin Pulse. Travel support for this program provided by the Center for Latin American and Latino Studies at American University. And now a programming note. Latin Pulse won't be online next week. We're taking a bit of a summer pause. Join us again on August 10th. Until then, thank you for joining us on Latin Pulse. For our entire team, associate producer Lydia Beud and announcer Victor Kilo, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchen nosotros vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is sponsored by American University's Center for Latin American and Latino Studies. The program is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University School of Communication with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV and additional music from Canary Productions and Bath Time Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2012, Las Rocas Productions. <laughs>